Hi everyone, and welcome to the Power Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm delighted to welcome uh, a guest, well, semi-new guest to the show, and that he's been a guest before with somebody else, uh, but now this is his first solo episode as a guest. Um, Barry Taylor, welcome to the show. Hey James, how are you? Thanks for having me on as a solo artist. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. Yeah, as a solo artist, that's right, yeah. That's very well, active in your background, well, isn't it? <laughs> I'm like Art Garfunkel after the split up of Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> yeah, there's always one, isn't there, who gets uh, who gets kind of forgotten, but is always the unheralded genius of the pair <laughs> okay. kind of thing. Yeah, like... I might be um, many things, but I think <laughs> the, George, the George Harrison, you know, those um, yeah, kind of things. Um, yeah, yes, because uh, Barry was here with Maria Maria French before, and an episode yeah. a few weeks ago, and uh, now he's here on his own. Um, and so I'm looking forward to talking to you. Um, I just wanted to begin because it, it with it's really important to acknowledge what's happening in the world right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic, and that's been affecting everybody and changed a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and then, um, about a week before we recorded this, um, we had the um, events in America. Um, uh, you know, and uh, which kind of gave rise to a lot of protests and. Uh, riots and um, altercations with police all over America, protests all over the world, Black Lives Matter. Um, And again, um, it's just changed everything in a way. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a remarkable thing. You know, uh, until a couple of years ago, um, I lived in Los Angeles and I was in mm. Los Angeles in... uh, when the Rodney King riots happened in the early 90s. And um, yeah. over a similar, a similar event, really, um, although those riots were because of the acquittal of the officers that were filmed beating um, Rodney King. So those, those riots came after, and you know they were in, in a, a different era. Um, it was a televised era, yeah. but it was... It wasn't a digital era in the same way that we experience it now. And I think, but if you think about the fact that that was 91, 92, and now it's 2020, if you want to understand uh, the level of um, frustration and rage um, within African-American circles and it really ought to be everybody's circles but let's just put it within that particular community it's pretty self-evident as to why because there's been a, a litany of these situations and circumstances that have gone on year after year and always with the and you know with the intention or the expressed intention of change or addressing things um, that seem to go unheeded or unheard at, at some point in time and I think it's kind of very interesting how, at this particular moment, the, this death, mm. this killing, really, um, prob- 
probably, I, I think, because of other other frustrations, but not just because of that. I don't think you can just sort of go, oh, the lockdown exacerbated it. And for whatever reason, I think the, the galvanizing around this protest and the awareness that it's, it, it, it's a particularly American problem in its acting out only. But if you start to sort of look around the world, you, you realize that these acts go go on all the time with uh, yeah. minority groups, different ethnic groups. London or Britain is not, not exempt. From, exactly, from, yeah. From, I mean, it's... And I, um, I, I think people have just perhaps finally started to wake up to the reality that this stuff can't, it just can't keep happening. You, you, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, but I do, but I do think I was talking to somebody a little earlier, and they, they they said that they thought, you know, I mean, half the people, half the people marching in protest probably in the U.S. don't even have a job anymore. <laughs> um, so there are more people out on the streets. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's just been, it's actually been kind of uh, an amazing thing to see. You know, the thousands of people in London, in Amsterdam, in Helsinki, yeah. in New Zealand. Um, France. I mean, it's 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 an amazing Japan. I think today, yeah. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing to see um, this outpouring of um, both support and demand for change. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting how it gets uh, how it gets handled in the press, which is also part of the story of our time. Yeah. Is the bifurcation of um, the press, so you always get these warring opinions, and and uh, that just serve particular interest groups and feed the same conversations. But I don't know. I was, you know, I I um the uh, last week I um, I was give a little talk every Sunday on my Patreon thing, and last week, which was on the front end of um, the the George Floyd situation I, I quoted um, the poet Anne Carson who um, is also she's a, a poet and a classicist and she wrote a book called Grief Lessons which is about um, four plays Euripides and um, she speaking about tragedy says why do we have tragedy and she said, well, we have tragedy because you have rage. And why do you have rage? You have rage because you have grief. And I, I, I can't help but think that that thread of ideas, tragedy, rage, grief, isn't really a, a way of thinking about um, the events, the grief of communities over the loss of one more person unnecessarily um, and the grief of a community over dis, you know, ongoing disenfranchisement and not being heard and not being listened to and, uh, and you, you combine that with the grief that I think is rampant in, in even multiple sectors of um, life right now around the world as people have lost um, a sense of their own hold on 
the supposed normality of their existence or as best they could, you know what I mean? And I think all of that, I think that's a way of understanding where where the rage comes from. And I think it's rage, not anger. And I think it's very important to sort of separate separate the two. And, yeah. and I saw a lot of conflation. I, I saw a lot of... Um, Christian, uh, Christiany tweets and things talking about the need for a theology of anger, and they were talking about, you know, that um, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you know, you shouldn't be angry, but then a little bit later, he sort of um, cleanses the temple, the money changers, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I, th- but I, but I would, I would argue that that. Um, that's an expression of rage, not an re- expression of anger, and it's born. It, it's born out of the fact that it comes on the heels of an expression of uh, grief, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, and actually, it's interesting we talk about that because I've talked to a lot of people about grief for the podcast. Um, people will have listened to a lot of that, uh, and one of the things we talked about with grief was that there is this. That there is this, and having experienced a lot of a parent myself, I've experienced this. There is this moment where you just release all this this emotion, and it is not anger, um, and it's not even rage. It's just pure grief, um, yeah. and it looks like anger, and it can look like rage, but it's grief. It's just, yeah. and it's and it's in you, and you have to get it out. And yeah. that's what I sense that was 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 coming out when. Jesus in the temple. He was grieving. Sure. Uh, it was raw. I mean, yeah, you could call it rage. I think you could call it rage. It was more than anger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I've heard a lot of people talking about that metaphor this week. That you know, he was saying that this is not. This system is 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 flawed. It doesn't work. This cannot. We can't. This cannot go on. Kind of thing. Um, and sure. what have we done? How? What world have we created? Um, you know where sacred places are being used to make money Um, and I mean there's so many crossovers with today's world because we have consumer empire you know who who have all the power and who are manipulating and exploiting people for money and and even the church, the religious establishment, are doing that. Uh, and uh, and you have yeah, systemic but, racism, you know, which is part of that as well, um, which is yeah. embedded in all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah it's, it's a, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of um, heartache um, around at the moment with a lot of people, understandably so. I mean, not just in the, the events around... George Floyd, but prior to that, with you know mm-hmm. uh, the lockdown and what that um, has meant for so so very many people, you know, who've essentially you know worked their whole lives and won't probably won't recover from this, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and and, um, and of course, uh, on one level, it seems like there there's not much that could be done about it. We we sort of had to do what we had to do, or at least that seems to be the general consensus of um, mm. the powers that be that we needed this lockdown and we needed to arrest um, our lives from 
the, the ordinary everyday mundanity of existence, you know, and go into this kind of hyper-isolated environment. The sad thing, of course, is that for many countries that, that have been um, experiencing a particular kind of uh, economic exploitation, amplification, and uh, inequality, uh, which includes, in many cases, a kind of stripping away of resources at the heart of a society, um, boy, did we need those things right now. And, and I think the folly of that particular way of, of living has hit some people really hard and probably not the people <laughs> who are in a position to change that. Um, unless, of course, you know, you get to a point where you do take to the streets. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it takes... It, it's a very big... It's, it's a significant thing when you have a global pandemic and people are not are being advised not to go out publicly for, for, for their own safety and for the safety of others um, yeah. for legitimate reasons, um, which is you know, backed up by science. Uh, and And yet people are going out... And protesting because of what's happened to George Floyd, and because of because of what it represents, because it yeah. represents the worst of white supremacy, white um, of systemic racism, um, and you know that that has been happening for centuries, but um, it is still happening, um, and yeah. uh, and that's the that's the reality, <laughs> you know. And but the people that go, the people that go out and protest even during a pandemic shows you the depth of feeling about yeah. what's happened and what is happening um, I don't know if we talked about this when I was on with Maria but you know there's that um, theory um, Frederick Jameson's theory um, he called it the utopian potential of catastrophe mm. did we talk about that? I don't think we did no uh, so, the philosopher um, Frederick Jameson um, did a lot. Of, he's a literary um, theorist as well, and he, he did a lot of the exploration of um, actually like sci-fi and blockbuster movies and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, he sort of explored what was being examined in those those kind of films, those genre movies, and and, and, he, and he said what what they expose is what he called uh, the utopian potential in the catastrophe and he, and he said you know in a in a movie like that when there's a catastrophe that, that threatens the whole world or threatens a society what you see is um, a banding together of people who lay aside differences and work together to save the whole and he said it's tragic that it takes a, a catastrophe to unleash that and his take on the utopian is not like some future perfect world as much as it is. He says that the utopian potential is as much an exposure of what's wrong with the present as it is any clearly delineated future. It's just a, really a, a sense, an exposure of the ways in which the ways we've been living have... Yeah not been the best way but they're the they're the they're what we kind of assume is 
the norm and we kind of live with yeah, them until yeah, something yeah. comes along and blows it open and we're forced to think about that and we see then the folly of those things and we have that decisive moment where we can decide um, to work for a different and better world and the hope in all these things in, in, in even in the the COVID lockdown and and it's hard to you know you don't I don't like to ascribe meaning to events um, I think things sometimes just happen <laughs> but you know yeah you know I think life just happens and I think we try and put meaning on it so we can cope with its randomness but but I also think yeah. that when situations arise like the COVID lockdown global lockdown and then you know this George Floyd event um, they're both exposures of what's what's not right with our with our world as well you know on the COVID front it's like well we we chose a particular form of um, economics that stripped I mean one of the reasons we're locked down is because we had to save the NHS or why did we have to save the NHS we had to save the NHS because it had been stripped of its resources and was running on bare bones and hot air yeah and still is and all, and all of a sudden, you know, a crisis comes along that it's no longer equipped to, to, to deal with. And, and a lot of countries that have taken particular forms of um, economic decisions which actually favor um, privatization and uh, the, the, the rich actually and contribute to inequality, uh, nobody's nobody's really panting for that to come back at the moment, you know. And it's really funny how populist governments have suddenly become quite—I um, wouldn't say socialist—but they're favouring big government in a way they haven't for a long time. Yeah, they're, they're, it's very true. You know, and I don't mean you know, uh, and it, I I I don't want to get on some anti-capitalist creed or or any, it, to me it's not about that as much as it is the choices that we make within within those worlds that either contribute to the common good or they contribute to a particular good and then we justify that in you know in the ways that we we play that out and then you know the George Floyd thing well here's a moment where finally it's too much yeah it's just too much you know three guys sitting on a guy's back neck for nine minutes while he dies what is that about? You know what I mean? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what you think about it. You have to look at that. And then you, you're sort of forced to look at the fact that, again, like I said, I was in Los Angeles in, in the 90s when a similar event caused uh, a localized riot that spread to some other cities. But this one's gone global. Yeah. And that's because now experience things globally as people. You know, everybody's experience is our experience in one way. It's like when... It's like when Notre Dame burned down, you know, the whole world was watching. Yeah. And again, people got upset by that and they were like, you know, well, all these people are doing this and that and the other and there are people starving and things. But but it was an, it was an event that was experienced in real time in a moment by everybody around the world. And we, we have these deep threaded and interwoven connections with global experience now. And I, and I think this is becoming more and more commonplace that a localized event takes on a kind of globalized um, reaction. That's right, and I think... Yeah, we... and transcends its own cultural context and, and, and becomes symbolic of our own 
problems. So, yes. Or brutality or uh, racism or bigotry or prejudice or, you know, um, the marginalizing of people through the larger choices that we make in the name of profit or, you know, purchase or, or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Profound, profound and troubling and challenging, very challenging. Yes, it is. Um, it, is a mo- it, is, it is a moment to to really pause and reflect because uh, we need to think about the kind of world we have created and participated in uh, and like you say what we what we what we almost just accepted was the normal maybe wasn't actually beneficial at all and yeah well, it's, I mean it's amazing how um, we tend to live with certain ideas convinced that that's the needful way to be living until someone comes along and lives differently you know it's like again to to go back to a sort of race issue there was an accepted world um in america in 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 segregation in the 1960s um, until Rosa Parks decided that she wasn't going to sit on the back of the bus. And suddenly, what was accepted as, as the needful world that we lived in, you know, the world that just had to be this way, was suddenly exposed to what it was, just simply uh, a particular set of choices that had been made, and they didn't have to stay that way. Yeah. They didn't have to, but they, it served one group at the expense of another. And this is the conversation we've had through human history, isn't it? <laughs> One group yeah, serving at the expense of another. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible, really, when you look at... And it's funny that I'm saying... I find myself looking at myself saying what I'm about to say. I'm <laughs> just laughing in a way, because it, because I because I, I, look, I look at the Bible and the story of Jesus, and it's just... You could almost transpose that into what's happening now. It was a rich, powerful empire who were oppressing many peoples all over the world and including the Jews and this man comes along who is a threat to the empire as it were um, who has lots of people gathering around him and following him and talking about a different way of living and then goes public and calls out uh, these these people for what they're doing uh, in the temple um, in a kind of aggressive kind of way, um, which was probably a big moment. That kind of moment would probably have gone viral if it happened today. You know that um, it was a big moment, and that probably laid the se- the, the seeds of what happened later, which is the empire killed him you know even i mean uh yeah the empire killed him because he was because he was too much of a threat um and even the religious establishment of the jews wanted him out because they like the status quo yeah um and it's it's the same it's it's a rich powerful empire um oppressing people and trying to silence them um yeah and I, I, I think I think as well the the thing that I'm always 
I try to be mindful of is that the power people have is the power that they're granted by, by if you like, by the powerless. In, in, in the, what I mean is, I think one of the reasons things don't get addressed is because we aspire to the same thing and hope that we'll get a taste of it if we keep supporting that, that way. And I think that's one of the, the illusions that we have to come to terms with is that, you know, not everybody's going to be a billionaire. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and in fact, for people to become billionaires, you don't become a billionaire because of your own hard work. You always become a billionaire on the back of other people's labor. And there's a point in which we have to go, uh, maybe we're chasing the wrong horse here. Maybe this isn't the, the way that we find the best for ourselves and for each other. But we've, we, we have bought into certain, and I, and I say that, you know, and, and trust me, you know, I like stuff. I like going shopping. I'm a fashion, <laughs> a fashion junkie. It's not like I'm, you know, sitting in sackcloth over here going, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't mean that at all. But but I but I think um, uh, but I but I think we do have to address the, the the way in which it's very easy to assign blame on those in power and not realise because look what's I mean again uh, yes you know all fifty states now have had and continue to have peaceful protests against this in spite of. Um, Things like curfews and uh, attempts by lots and lots of people to curtail this and explain it away and uh, argue all those positions. And finally, it seems, and, and, and it remains to be seen what happens, because I forget who it was that said it, but um, somebody said the, the best way to determine the success of a revolution is the day after. <laughs> so, you know, what comes after it? So there, there, and I think that was an interesting thing that Obama um, talked about. I don't know if you saw his. I book, did. I did. Book. Yeah. And one of the things that he said is, you know, um, the way things change is after protest, there has to be legislation and all that stuff. So then, you know, then you have to vote. And of course, you know, um, we have this strange phenomenon in our democracies where most people just don't bother. Yes, and this is something that I'm interested in because of my interest in politics is that, you know, it's every election I tell people to go and vote because people's votes do matter. If everybody who could vote voted, you might see different results in elections. You know, I actually heard Michelle Obama talking about this in a documentary. She was saying that, you know, we... We won the presidential election, and then the people that have voted for us didn't show up for us in the um, what is it the the primary in the yeah the primary the the, the kind of the, the Senate or the I think it's the election for the Senate or the Congress yeah. uh, the midterms they didn't show up, and that meant that the, the, that meant that Obama could not do the things that he was elected to do because they were just they were just blocking him. At every turn, they just blanket refused to negotiate with him. So lots yeah. of things that he wanted to do, he couldn't do because he was blocked. And that's because yeah. people didn't show up and vote. Um, now, I I believe absolutely in peaceful protest. Absolutely, um, yeah. I think it's very very important. Um, and 
Now we should participate in that. That is very, very important. Voting is just as important because voting is a form of protest that actually can change things because you can put people in office who aren't the people who are doing the damage and who might actually be open to some change. And, uh, and, and again, you know, I mean, and I, and I get all the all of the. I understand all the disillusionment. I think I'm probably as disillusioned with politics as the next person. Yeah, I mean, yeah I, absolutely. <laughs> like you look around it and you roll your eyes and you go, well, I understand what is the point, but um, the point is that if you don't, then you're throwing away an opportunity. And personally, I think that there should be, uh, I think voting should be mandatory and I think people should be fined if they don't vote. Yeah, actually, I think that that would. I really, I really think that it's if you want to live in a in a um, a world where you have the opportunity to create and craft a life that means something to you and contributes to the common good, then I I, I do think we have a responsibility to um, to actually participate, even when we're jaded. Yes. Yes. Even when, even when we're despondent, you know, um, because I don't think of I, I don't think a vote cast is a, a, a wasted a wasted vote. It means that you paid attention, and it might get people to pay more attention, you know, because yeah. I think the problem is is that people, especially people, we 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 so respond to the slogans now. You know, it's like if somebody says something and we agree with that slogan, they must be the right person. You know, there's no real discourse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's not engagement. And this is what I've been talking about with people in terms of doing the work, because one of the most important things that I'm telling people right now is, you know, it's not enough to say you're against racism. You have to be... And I think somebody said this in the 1970s. I can't remember her name. I should remember her name. But... Um, Barbara Taylor possibly um, that you have to be anti-racist um, you have to do the work of unlearning white sure. privilege and systemic and, and learning about systemic racism and committing to the work of changing that and that's yeah. discomforting and it's hard work and it's daily work it's lifelong work and it's just one of the issues we have to come to terms with a very yeah. important one it's one of the issues but you yeah. know Again, it's, it's it's part of what it means to be human, I think, is to take an active care in what happens to the world. And I know that, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've come out of church and I, I grew very tired a long time ago of like world changing ideas, you know, the, the kind of bullshitty, you know, we're gonna change the world for Jesus kind of talk. I, I, I'm not a grand scale person like that but I think you have to act in a way that impacts the world by acting within the very small part of the world that you live in as best you can yes. by by being a kind and generous person and then doing what you can to contribute to the betterment of society in whatever way uh, whatever way you can yeah I, I think, think yeah I think you're right I think and the importance of community as well needs to be heightened uh, we yeah. we've forgotten that we've forgotten the importance of serving your local community and 
loving yeah. your neighbour literally uh, and and doing that work uh, and because yeah. that's how ultimately change can happen change can happen on a local scale and if everyone does change on a local scale then guess what happens you know um, yeah, was, uh, I always remember the words of the great theologian Joe Strummer of the Clash who <laughs> said the punk is to show kindness to your fellow human beings mm. oh, I like kind- that. kindness is a very uh, underprized virtue in our society it's often looked upon actually as a sort of form of weakness you know don't be too kind as if that as if that's possible and i think you know kindness is one of those uh ideas that um is washed away in a world of power and hunger for power and authority and stuff like that but there's a there's a there's something to the act this uh, and, and I'm not down on that slogan either, you know, random acts of kindness. I think they should actually be intentional acts of kindness. I hate that bumper sticker, you know, practice random acts of kindness. I mean, I get the idea of it, but yeah. I think um, it, it, it makes, uh, it, it turns kindness into a sort of party trick. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I get what you mean, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, it, 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 I, I think to be kind is uh, the goal not just to practice acts of kindness but to be kind and uh, I I think that's transformative and and I think to be kind means to be engaged because you can't be kind unless you're aware that's right you know the easiest thing in the world is to hide away and just close yourself yourself off from what's happening in the world I say all of this to you and I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying it all to myself because I'm the first one to say that I'm, I'm pretty good at hiding away and watching the telly <laughs> yeah no and it's easy to do um, yeah. you know it's easy to just say I just, I just don't want to talk about it don't want to think about it don't want to engage with it it's too painful uh, yeah it's it's an easy thing to do um, yeah. and especially especially if you're privileged especially if you're a white privileged person it's easy to just switch off because it's not in your face every day um you know uh, and i yeah i get tempted to do it sometimes um and i think also i think it's also it's important to qualify that with saying we're human beings and we do need to de- disconnect and rest and practice self-care and take care of our mental and emotional health that is really really important um that that is actually um that that helps you make a better difference in the world when you're when you're doing the work because you're better prepared you're in a healthier place to do the work and that means you're more effective in in doing the work but at the same time you shouldn't escape from the reality of what's happening as well you can yeah. you can be engaged with the reality of what's happening but also make space to practice self-care uh, and that's different from, from probably from escaping um what's happening okay. so yeah Absolutely. Yeah, sure is. Um, <laughs> well, now we've solved all the world's problems. That was easy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just yeah, put, put the world to rights. Yeah. Uh, this has been really great. I mean, I've enjoyed talking about this. This is. Um, I think it's. I think it's important to, to talk about this and acknowledge it because. Uh, um, it would kind of be tone deaf not to, not to talk about it. Um, right now, um, and I know you've got a really powerful personal story of your own to share um 
it might be, but might be good to do that in another episode because I think that's probably a whole episode in itself. Yeah, I'd love. Yeah, I'd like you to come back because I'm. I'm I've just ordered. Um, I've just, Barry's just written a book about his story. He's got an incredible story. Um, I think it's called. Is it called? What is it called again? Well, unfortunately, it's called Sex, God, and Rock and Roll. Yeah, that's what I thought it was called. Yeah, I've I've just ordered it. Just say it wasn't my first choice for um, what I wanted to call it. But you know, when you're dealing with publishing companies, they seem to think they they know what you're about more than you do. And and while um, admittedly that that is um, definitely part of the content of the book, it's actually a bit more uh, expensive than that because it's um, I, when, I, when I was writing it I, I called it um, a theological memoir and it's essentially um, it's really a series of um, essays and uh, stories and ideas and reflections that are split up into four categories that deal with things about my own life but also things about life in general and how and in what ways we um, craft and create a life and the things that contribute to the life that we're, the life that we make and I'm a big fan of the, the, the small unexpected event that has an impact and alters uh, the shape sometimes the course Usually after the fact, we, I, I think, but um, I'm not. But I wrote it the way I wrote it because I don't. I actually don't believe that life is a big narrative. I think it's a series of little episodes, little blips here and there, that all sort of form what it means to have a life. And so, uh, and I wrote it. You know, um, in. Uh, Oh, do you want me to say this? <laughs> I was chatting away. Do you want me to tell you about this? You can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, I think the thing, like, what we'll do, like, we'll have you back for another episode and talk about the stories in that book and, the, and your story yeah. in more detail. But yeah, I'd be happy to. But, um, but yeah, well, just really quickly then. So um, Freud had this um, in in civilization and its discontents. He he basically put forward this idea that you know life is hard <laughs> no brainer and um, we, we find ways as human beings to um, handle that and he said we, we create these things he called them palliatives and he, and he said there are four major ones um, art love intoxicants and religion and we use them as ways to find respite and escape at times from the harshness of existence and we use them to find ways to uh, refresh and restore our lives and he, and he had both uh, a lot of critique about that but also the, the, and, and so I took those four ideas and I and I created I used them as the way that the book is divided up and I talked about um, the artistic elements of life the, the kind of biological not just the sexual but the biological parts of life um, the experiential through uh, 
intoxicants, things that intoxicate from shopping <laughs> to, to whatever, and and the the trans, you know, the transcendent, the spiritual, and, and the religious. So the books about all of those things, um, both personal and general. Interesting. Well, it's releasing in the beginning of July, and I can't wait to read it. So, um, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. And we'll do that. We'll do that well, soon. Let's do that. Um, I actually felt those four those four areas that you mentioned that, that they kind of felt relevant to what we've talked about today. Um, I think as well, um, and what's happening yeah. in the world right now. So it'll be um, interesting to talk about about those further. So yeah, there's a trailer for you, everybody. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks thanks both for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a really great discussion. Really great having me. And I look forward to having you back on the show. Yeah, I'll stay well. Go wash your hands now. Yeah, everyone wash your hands. Take care of yourself. Um, And talk soon, everyone. Good to see you, Jeff.